I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here by myself today. Brother Steve, the Grace Guard Dog, had a doctor's appointment. And I'd rather be here than at the doctor's. I'll just say that. But he's at the doctor's, just a routine checkup. Not going to look at his brain or anything to see what in the world makes this guy tick. But no, he's not here and I miss him. Not really fond of doing the podcast by myself, but here I am. But since I'm here, I'm glad to do it and... What I'd like to actually share with you guys is something that's been on my mind and been on my conscience, I guess, for a few weeks now. And it's ended up on my mind in several different ways. One way was someone at a men's Bible study asked me, do you believe that the love of God is all that's needed to change a person's life. That that someone can actually be sanctified by the love of God. That someone can live a exemplary Christian life just by knowing that God loves him. Them. My answer is yes, I do. I do believe that. And I'm going to cite some scriptures to support that. But also in their question was, don't you need some fear to get people to change their lives. I mean, you can't just let them go on robbing banks or whatever it is they do, the different types of lifestyles that, you know, we talk about and say that society is going to pieces because of all these different anything goes lifestyles. And I would have to say once again, yes, the love of God can change any person. The worst to the occasional that tells little fibs and brags a little too much at work and does a few things he's not proud of, to the person that just lives an out-and-out decadent life, yes, I do believe the love of God can change a person. And then I came here to Steve fully thinking we were going to podcast together, and we were watching, I won't say his name, he's a well-known preacher from a big state, probably said too much, and he was talking about you you actually need the fear of God and the love of God working together, which made me automatically think of the, the verse in 1 John 4 where it says that perfect love casts out fear. 
because fear has to do with punishment or torment, it says. And those who fear have not been made perfect in love. So by that same standard, I would say someone that's living just the atrocious lifestyle that they may be living, I would say that they have not been made perfect in love. And I would say they actually probably don't even know the first thing about the the unconditional love of God. I would say studying the Bible with the wrong perspective, like a Pharisee would, would also not lead you to the conclusion that it's the love of God that changes a person. I will say this before we get started. The fear of God, the fear of retribution, the fear of punishment does change behavior, but it doesn't change the person. And we can see that in what's going on right now in our own country, where we've said we're not going to prosecute people for different crimes. Yes, crime is rampant in these cities where they practice this lawless policy. So, yeah, the fear of God, the fear of punishment can actually deter bad behavior. I would say that. That's true. But it can't change the heart. And so you're having a person that's because of fear of punishment is a law-abiding citizen. He's afraid to rob a bank. But if you take that fear away, he'll just walk into a Walmart and throw a bunch of clothes in a basket and walk out the door and not feel bad about it. But if he thinks he's going to jail, yeah, you'll change his behavior. But the gospel is not about behavior modification. And the law was not really about behavior modification. But it did deter people from doing certain things because of fear, fear of punishment. And to take the idea that the fear of torment of God is going to work together with the love of God doesn't make sense. Let me, I just quoted earlier in 1 John 4, it says, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with torment. The one who is fearful has not been made perfect in love. And that's the goal of the Christian life. We want to be made perfect in his love. So fear can motivate you to live a different type of life but you're not doing it out of the motivation that you love God and you fully appreciate that he loves you. Remember, we love him because he first loved us, not the other way around. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, which will go there, it's the love of Christ that compels me, controls me. It's literally got me hemmed in on all sides. There's no escaping the love of God. It says the love of Christ love of God controls me because I'm convinced that if one died for all, then all died. And remember, the wages of sin is death. And by Christ dying for all, then Paul's conclusion is that all died. So the wages of sin being death, the wages of sin was paid in full on the cross by Jesus once and for all. 
So let me just read it. It's one of my favorite passages. And I don't have my Bible open. I'm going to see if I still remember it. Starting in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constrains us, compels us. As I said earlier, it's literally got us hemmed in on all sides. Because I'm convinced, Paul says, that if one died for all, therefore all died. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So there's a key passage right there. It says that the love of Christ is the controlling factor on his behavior. The love of Christ constrains him, makes all his decisions for him. It's the motivating influence in his life. It's enough for Paul to make every decision based on this gratitude that his sin debt was paid in full. Now, to compare this on the fear of God changing a person, well, we just have the whole history of (laughs) the world up until Jesus came. It says that no one was righteous by the law. It says that all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. It says there's no one righteous, no, not one. And it just gives a long list of our failures and shortcomings. And all that was, all those failures and shortcomings and everyone falling short was done with the law and the fear of God. And if they didn't have the law, if they weren't a Jew, Paul also says they have a conscience bearing witness against themselves. It wasn't enough to change their life. It may keep them from acting out in public and restraining evil to a degree, but it did not change anyone's life. Paul says the love of God is what constrains his life. In fact, before that, if you go back a little bit further than 2 Corinthians 5.14, I think it's like 5.9 or 5.9 or 5.10. It says, Paul says, since we know what it is to fear God, we persuade men to be reconciled to God. So what does he mean by that? Paul, as a Pharisee at one time, knew what it was like to fear God. Knowing what it was like to fear God, he persuaded people to be reconciled to God. So what does that mean? Is he promoting the fear of God as a behavior modification? No, he's saying, I know what it's like to fear God. I know what it's like to live under the law. I know what it's like to have this fear of retribution. I know what it's like to have God as my so-called enemy and to live and trying to please God and never feeling adequate to please God. And Paul was the guy that said, as far as my life under the law, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous for God. I had the law. He says, and as to keeping the law, outwardly I was faultless. But whatever was to my credit, he says, I consider loss compared to the surpassing 
value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things and consider them rubbish. It's a polite word for scubalon. Scubalon is a flushable material. So Paul says, I consider all that fear of retribution from God, keeping the law through the motivation of fear, I consider that even though I was faultless, I consider it rubbish compared to the the surpassing, far surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And what he's talking about is I've forsaken this way of keeping the law and living by the motivation of fear. So Paul says, I do know what it's like to to fear God. So he's saying, be I'm pleading with you to be reconciled to God. Now, it says, the next verse says, God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. And we need to reconcile reconcile ourselves to God. What does that mean? If I'm already reconciled to God on the cross, meaning my sin debt was paid in full, I owe nothing because it was paid in full by Jesus, God has reconciled me to himself. So why do I need to reconcile myself to God? Because I don't want the ledger on God's side saying paid in full and the ledger on my side from my point of view saying I owe plenty. Because if my ledger says I owe a lot more than I got, then I I'm not going to live reconciled to God. I'm still going to live in a fear of retribution, a fear of payback to God, not knowing that my sin debt was paid in full. Will this motivate a person? Will this motivate the hardest of hard hearts? The answer is yes, it will. As you may know, Steve and I are both big fans of The Chosen. And one of the most amazing scenes in it is, and there's three words in the Bible that talk about this one event. And it was the calling of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. A tax collector was like being in the mafia on top of being a traitor to your country. All in one. They were the most despised, despicable people in the mind of the Pharisees. And there was one of Jesus's 12 apostles was Matthew, and he was a tax collector. And the calling of Matthew is just a few words in the Bible. It says that Matthew saw Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. It's basically all it says. There was something in that look. There was some acceptance that Matthew found that he made him an outcast without that acceptance of Christ, without that love of God motivating Jesus to look at a guy named Matthew who was hated and despised by everyone and despicable for what he was doing And it says, Jesus looked at Matthew 
And Matthew saw that face-to-face acceptance and love that came from God through Jesus. And it says he walked away from the tax collecting business forever and became one of Jesus's apostle and went on to pen one of the gospels. So yes, the love of God will motivate a person to live the victorious Christian life. Paul therefore goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Count it true is what that means. Verse 21 explains it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So how do we become the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, he just said it. We realize, we believe this message that we are reconciled to God. What is the message? The message was motivated by the love of God. Paul says that. The love of Christ compels me, constrains me, convinces me. It won't allow me to have any other thought except that God loves me. And it says that it convinces him that if one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that we don't have to live for ourselves. What is living for ourselves? Yes, it's living in sin, but it's also the person that is fearful of God and fearful of retribution from God, trying to live this exemplary Christian life because he's has a fear motivating him. Paul says, no, it's the love of God that motivates you. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment. It says in Hebrews 3 that God destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who through fear of death held us in bondage all our lives. He held the devil, the liar, the deceiver, held us in bondage all our lives through fear of death. Paul has taken that away. He says, you don't have to have a fear of death because God was in Christ reconciling you to himself. So what is he telling you to do? Count it true. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. That's what it says in Romans 6. In fact, Romans 6 1 says, Therefore, what shall we do? Shall we continue living in the sin? Or some people say, Shall we continue sinning? You could say it that way, I guess. What is his answer? God forbid, or do you not know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Isn't that the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he's convinced that if one died for all, all died? Doesn't that mean the same thing as Paul saying in Romans 6, that we were all baptized into Christ, meaning we were baptized into his death? 
didn't Jesus say before he went to the cross, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. He said this, it says, to indicate the type of death he would die, a, a death that would count for every person. So it is the love of Christ that compels us. And it is the fear of God that may modify behavior through fear of punishment, but it doesn't change a person. But it's the love of God that changes a person. And that's what it's about. It's about becoming a new creation. Let me actually change that. It's by knowing that you are a new creation and knowing that all things, old things have passed away and knowing that all things are new. And Paul says, check it out. You are a new creation. Now, what if you don't know this? Because some people don't know this. What if you don't believe it? Well, that's not going to help you. And let, let me show you the verse that I recently came to have an understanding. And it's in Romans 3, 21. So remember, Paul said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are new. All this is from God. This is the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. We've been given to tell people that be reconciled to God because he has reconciled himself to you. And he no longer calls you a sinner, but he calls you the righteousness of God in Christ. Look at what Romans 3, I'm going to start in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is there a no difference between? It says believers and unbelievers, because the comparison is upon all them that believe okay that's the distinction as opposed to the people that don't believe it the righteousness of christ which is by the the righteousness of god which is by the faithfulness of christ is into all and upon all that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god so believers and unbelievers alike, believers and unbelievers are in the same boat. They've all sinned and they've all come short of the glory of God. The righteousness of God, though, in verse 22, which is by the faithfulness of Christ, meaning it's his righteousness, is given to all. But it's the word unto all is ice. And it, it's the preposition that means into. And upon all them that believe is epi, superimposed. So there is no difference between the believer and the unbeliever, meaning Christ died for both. But there is a difference 
between a believer and an unbeliever when it comes to living the victorious Christian life. It says that the believer, the one who believes that he's declared righteous by the faithfulness of Christ, the one that's believing that Christ is his righteousness, he has that righteousness not just credited to him, but it's it's the word epi, and it, it means superimposed on him, meaning that he can live by the very same righteousness that Christ lived by, meaning that another word of another way of saying this is he's living by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's righteousness inside of him, and it's because he's believing in the righteousness that belongs to the Holy Spirit. He's believing in the very righteousness of God that's in Christ. He's believing that he can rely on this righteousness that's given as a gift of the Holy Spirit to live the victorious Christian life. Now, he's not going to live the victorious life if you're putting fear and judgment and retribution and punishment and all these things, which we just went over those verses in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. The one who fears has not been made perfect. The one who's made perfect is the one that realizes that Jesus lived the perfect life for him and counted for him. And it he did it for all, whether they believe it or not, he still died for them. But whether they believe it or not makes a difference when it comes to living the victorious Christian life. And the first thing that you have to believe is that you can never, ever live the victorious Christian life by human effort. I wish guard dog Steve was here to (laughs) declare his favorite verse. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal through human effort or by your flesh or by gritting your teeth and making commitments and doing your best to live the victorious Christian life? But he's saying that the righteousness of God is given to all and credited to all because of Jesus' perfect life lived here on earth and his death we sell that in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Paul was convinced that if one died for all, then that means all died, believers and unbelievers alike. But the benefit of believing comes in believing the gospel. Paul concludes his epistle to the Romans. The last chapter, very near the end, he says, Now unto him who's able to establish you by what? By the gospel. Paul calls it my gospel. He says, Now to him who's able to establish you my gospel, even the proclamation of Jesus Christ. So we have the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Aren't they the very same thing? Yes, they are. The gospel is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The proclamation of Jesus Christ is the gospel. That's the good news. He gave his life for you so he could give his life to you so he could 
what? Live his life through you. That's what it means that the righteousness of God is unto all, but it's superimposed on all that believe. He can live his life through you. He can live the victorious Christian life through you when you're believing the gospel. And the first thing you have to believe in order to believe the gospel is what Paul calls the acknowledgement of your own self-righteousness. Paul described it in Philippians 3. We went over it. I won't repeat it again. He calls the confidence in your own righteousness, he calls it confidence in the flesh. Your flesh is your own self-righteousness. We always think of the flesh as going to the bars and doing things we're not supposed to, but living by the flesh is actually human effort trying to live the Christian life. It's, it's our go-to verse that Guard Dog Steve always quotes. After beginning in the spirit, are you now trying to attain the goal of living the victorious Christian life through the flesh or through human effort? So Paul, Paul says that he's able to establish you by this good news that Christ died for you, lives in you, and when you're believing this good news, when you're trusting this good news, when you're depending on this good news, that is when you're relying on the Spirit, and that is when the Spirit is activated you, activated in your life. And when we're living by the Spirit, it says there's nothing uh, the fruit of the Spirit, let me just quote the verse in Galatians. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the fruit we want, all the good attributes of our life we want. He says they're love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then he says against such things there is no law. There would never ever be any inconsistency by the person that's depending on the Spirit to live the Christian life through him, there would never be any consistency between the, what the law says to do and a person living by depending on the Spirit does. There's, there is no difference. There is no law against loving. There is no law against joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's the qualities that make you want to be around that person who's experiencing the the Spirit's love and joy and faith and patience and kindness. And boy, couldn't we all use a little kindness in this world today after the things that are going on in this world? Yes, we could. But it's not going to come about by just trying to scare people into living right. Yeah, that that may be a behavior modifier to a degree, but it's not what it's not the way to live the life that you've always wanted to live it's not the way to live the victorious christian life it's not the way that you live a spirit led life that's why perfect love and fear will not work together they don't work arm in arm side by side that's why first john says perfect love casts out fear you don't need a fear of God when you've been reconciled to God. 
And you don't need a fear of God as a motivation to live right when you have the spirit that meets all the righteous requirements that the law ever demanded on a person. It says all the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not walk after the flesh, after human effort, but by the spirit. So we can depend on the spirit to live the victorious life. We cannot depend on fear of retribution to get someone to live the Christian life. So you might as well tell them the good news. God loves them. God died for them and God gave his life to live in and through them. I hope that helps. I hope that gives some clarity to my position on why we don't need the fear of God to get people to live the Christian victorious life. Why that perfect love actually casts out fear. If it's something that we need to live the victorious Christian life, along with his perfect love, then I think casting out would be a bad idea. I think we need to hang on to fear and love, even though they're contradictory to each other. They're both sources of motivation, I'll give you that, but that's where the similarities end. But what I am confidently telling you you now love is the fulfillment of all whether there be any other commandment Paul said it is fulfilled in this what one word that you love love works no ill toward its neighbor therefore Paul says love is the fulfillment of all and that's where I'm going to con- conclude thank you guys for putting up with my uh, flighty mind and random thoughts uh, but like you I depend on the spirit Without the Spirit, I'm a basket case. I'll admit it. My my mind wanders to all kinds of things. When I'm led by the Spirit, I feel like uh, I just have the Spirit's peace, the Spirit's joy, and I just let it guide me. And that's the only way I live the victorious Christian life because I have tried all the other ways, and let me just tell you, they don't work. But love never fails. So good night, everyone. We love you. Steve would say that too if he was here, but we'll be back with the guard dog next week. In the meantime, be blessed.